I'm on the line with Cam. Cam is a hunger striker with Occupy ICE PDX, which is Occupy Immigration Customs and Enforcement Portland in Oregon. Cam is a participant and a protester who was arrested last uh, Thursday morning when the police moved in. They're originally from Salem, Oregon, but uh, have been participating in Occupy ICE PDX for almost three weeks now. Cam, welcome to No One's Legal Radio. Thank you for having me. Cam, tell our listeners, what is Occupy ICE PDX? I've broken down what those acronyms are. It's a hashtag. But uh, what exactly is happening at the Immigration Customs Enforcement Facilities in Portland, Oregon? Well, I think it's really important to remember how it started. Um, It started as a vigil. I I wasn't present for it, but from what I've heard, it was just a handful of folks showing up to have a candlelight vigil for the children and the families that have been separated. And afterwards, they decided to stick around, um, and they chose Occupy, um, both as a tactic and a name um, inspired by the Occupy Wall Street uh, movement from earlier in this decade. All right. And um, what happened after the vigil? What did people do? Um, They occupied the the uh, the facility um, they set up a camp they invited people to come down they continued doing vigils um, and eventually uh, ice decided to vacate the premises uh, due to what they called security concerns so this was a was a clear disruption of the day-to-day activities of immigration customs enforcement in Portland yep it was and, uh, of course, the, the broader context here, the reason for the vigil, I'm, I'm assuming, but if you can confirm for me let, and let me know, is um, the recent uh, policy of separating uh, children who cross at the border from their families. Um, but it seems to me that the demands are much beyond that now. So talk about the initial motivation and what some of the broader demands are of Occupy ICE participants. Yeah, I can't speak too much to initial motivation because, again, I didn't show up till day eight of the occupation, I believe. But from what I understand, it was definitely very much motivated by uh, zero tolerance and the separation of families and children, especially. Um, So the two biggest demands related to that are specifically the reunification of families because those families that have been separated have still not been reunified. And we have to my knowledge, at least heard of no plan to reunify them or no timeline. Um, and the second was end to zero tolerance because um, zero tolerance is what caused the situation in the first place. And um, although families are not being separated anymore, um, they're being detained indefinitely. So that's almost the worst outcome um, in my mind. Um, and again, it's all a result of uh, zero tolerance, which is still in effect, again, based on the latest information I have. Demands have gotten beyond demanding families reunite to abolishing mm-hmm. ICE. So could you speak to that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So specifically, we are trying to get the ICE detention center at 4310 Southwest McAdam Avenue, Portland, Oregon, shut down. There are four holding cells there um, that are used to transfer people up to Tacoma, and we want to shut that down. But that's part of a larger effort nationwide. We're trying to inspire uh, citizens, residents, um, anyone in this country, um, and our elected officials alike to shut down uh, ICE. Um, I've heard some Democratic lawmakers say, well, I don't agree with our tax policy, but I wouldn't shut down the IRS. But I I believe that's a false analogy um, because 
we didn't have um, any sort of government mechanism for collecting taxes at the federal level before the IRS was established. But we did for um, immigration. We had nationalization services. We had the Border Patrol. These had been around for a long time. ICE was only created in 2003, specifically as part of the Department of Homeland Security. And they were created to to use a counterterrorism tactics for immigration enforcement. Immigration is not a form of terrorism. It never has been. That's that's an important uh, distinction here in here in Canada. We have the Canadian Border Services Agency, also known as the CBSA, and they were also created in the aftermath of nine one one. They became an entity in two thousand and three, and before that, uh, dealing with uh, migrants was an administrative matter dealt with by various departments. So, um, I'm hoping at some point we have an Occupy CBSA movement here in Canada and an abolish CBSA movement here as well. So talk about what happens at the day-to-day or what's been happening day-to-day at the Occupy encampment. Let's, let's talk about maybe before the arrests, and then we'll talk about after the arrests. But before the arrests, uh, when you arrived, uh, what was it like to be there, and what was the morale of people, and, and what was being accomplished? Yeah, so I arrived um, coincidentally at a really interesting time in the evolution of this Occupy camp. Um, then the day I arrived that very same night was when Department of Homeland Security showed up at 3 a.m. Um, the full tactical gear armed to the teeth um, to uh, try and retake the facility. So my understanding of, of this movement is informed by sort of that standoff. Um, but essentially, aside from that, the day-to-day operations are very much like any camp. Um, we have a kitchen. Uh, people help out and donate food at to, to feed the people who are there. We have um, an information tent to help orient uh, newcomers and people who've been there for a while alike. We have engineering that helps keep the camp running. We have a garbage service uh, to keep uh, the camp clean. Um, we have communications that are helping us uh, interface with various different uh, community organizations and uh, media outlets. Um, we have a medic tent that help attend to people's medical needs. Um, we have a, a quiet space um, for those who need time for reflection. And we've also been having like people come and do um, different sorts of um, mental health care or holistic care in that quiet space as well. There's a children's tent. I'm, it gives me joy just to see families there. Um, I mean, that's what we're really fighting for is families to be together. Um, and then there's just the campers who stay there um, day in and day out. So it's constantly bustling with activity every day. We have a general assembly in the morning to address the needs of the camp. And then at night, we have our nightly vigils. Uh, Cam, um, you know, speaking here from Montreal, we have a certain sense of how things are playing out in the U.S. Um, uh, a lot of people here pay a lot of attention to what's happening down there. And, you know, we have a sense of migrant communities in California and Texas and Florida, big cities like New York and Chicago. But uh, talk a bit about uh, the, the, the demographics of migration in the Portland area and in Oregon in general. Who are the people coming through these ICE facilities? Are there people being flown in who were crossing at the border? Are there patterns of migration that are, that are well pronounced? Uh, who are the people who are who are being supported and uh, um, uh, by by your Occupy ICE actions? Yeah. Um, so, Oregon, um, 
to give a bit of history as a state, was founded essentially as a white utopia. Um, when it, In the state constitution, it was illegal to reside within the state if you were uh, a person of color or not white. Um, and that was enforced up until the late 1940s and was language in our constitution until the um, early 2000s. Um, despite that, um, outside of our major urban centers, Oregon is becoming increasingly diverse as an agricultural hub um, and as a corridor for um, migrant farm work labor. Um, for almost a half, like past century, ever since the Acero program was created during World War II. Um, so at this particular de- detention facility, this is where people are taking, taken uh, after local raids by ICE on their way up to Tacoma. But we also have uh, several facilities that are contracting with ICE. Uh, one of them is in Sheridan, Oregon. And uh, we know that recently, um, I believe it was over 100. I, I'll have to check the exact number. Um, but they were um, people swept uh, up in the zero tolerance uh, who were uh, shipped there uh, because, um, you know, as, as many people are aware, our immigration like system is completely over capacity as far as detention centers. And I think over half of them are are like Punjabi, like from from in, uh, India and Pakistan. So we have all sorts of people here. Cam, to go back to the occupation itself, I want, one thing I do want to say when you just mentioned that half the people there are um, uh, Punjabi or India or Pakistani, and probably from the Punjab, that suddenly resonated with me because uh, the uh, the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington State, and BC, was an area even in the 1880s, 90s, uh, 1900s where um, people from the Punjab region came as agricultural workers. But they also organized together the formation of the first. Um, mutinous, anti-colonial political party to confront British rule took place on the west coast of of this continent. So, you know, we fast forward now 100 years and <laughs> their their descendants are um, are coming as agricultural wor- uh, workers and uh, being detained uh, again. Um, so I just had to have a pause there for a second when you mentioned that because the, the demographics that people think of when they're thinking of people being detained is um, mainly people from Central America and from Mexico, but obviously there's people from all over the world, including Africa and, and large parts of Asia. Um, so so yeah, to go back absolutely. to... Yeah, so, um Yeah, and if I can just add some clarification to that. Yeah. Um, uh, we do... Our immigrant population is definitely majority, like... Uh, Mexican or Central American, but we do like have people from all over the world. And specifically, like I was referring to that, that facility um, is housing a lot of people uh, who are Punjabi or or from India and Pakistan. So, um, I mean, we're seeing increasingly both local county facilities and like uh, uh, state and federal facilities are being contracted by ICE to, uh, hold people because the number of people swept up in uh, zero tolerance is it's beyond imagining. It's, it's horrific. Um, so we need to, in addition to shutting down this particular ice facility, we also need to put pressure on the local and state officials to end these contracts. Um, what is the name of the facility that, that you guys are currently occupying? It probably has an official name. I was referring to it as the ICE Detention Center uh, at 4310 Southwest McAdam. I think you can probably look that up and 
see if it has an official name. Okay. But I know the two other facilities cooperating with ICE are NORCOR um, in Eastern Oregon. And um, I don't know the name of the facility, but it's in Sheridan, Oregon, and it's a federal facility. Well, there's a, there's a whole network now, and it's going to get worse uh, because um, if we take the Trump administration at their word, which we should, <laughs> then there's going to be military bases and, and other things open up to have mm-hmm. indefinite detention of, of migrants like they do in Australia. And um, obviously, family reunification does not mean reunifying families in detention centers or in military bases. It means reunifying them in communities where they can mm-hmm. live and work and thrive together. But let's go back to the occupation. And um, there were arrests, and you were one of the people arrested. But you're still here talking, so talk about the arrests, why people arrested, and how is the occupation able to still continue despite the, uh, the arrest by uh, Portland authorities? Yeah, well, actually, we are in a rather unique situation in Portland in that our uh, city council and our has has given us permission to be on part of the property. So there's the the property itself is leased by the Department of Homeland Security, but then there is an area behind it um, that's a, essentially a, a pedestrian like bike pathway that's owned by the city, and they've given us permission to be there, and they've uh, guaranteed us that um, Portland police will not be interfering. Um, we have some doubts about that, but as as of yet, none of them have threatened to evict us or threatened to arrest us for being on that part of the premises. Um, the arrest itself happened after um, on Thursday, and that was uh, followed um, two or three days of escalations by uh, Department of Homeland Security. Uh, they would come out and uh, spread essentially propaganda, like flyers explaining what we were doing is illegal, and uh, the media reported those as eviction notices, but it didn't, they weren't actually eviction notices. They didn't have a date they wanted to stop by or even ask us to leave. They just explained this is what you could be charged with. with if you are arrested, when we were arrested that morning, I can't speak too much to the details because we're still, a lot of legal stuff is up in the air, um, but essentially at about five that morning, they showed up with 100 uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, police officers in full riot gear. Um, and they uh, swept um, eight of us at that facility, and then someone was later arrested on the way to join us. Um, and they are claiming uh, that we were obstructing federal property um, and that we failed to comply with the lawful orders of an officer of the law. Cam, I want to um, uh, sort of go into a final area here in this interview, and that's about sort of the the politics of this. Uh, You've already alluded to it because um, it seems to me that uh, it's clear that the demands of all the Occupy ICE occupations are pretty clear. And when people are taking direct action, uh, generally people don't mess around. (laughs) You know, you you decide to risk arrest and and uh, this disruption to your life, including the possibility of getting a criminal record, being detained, being jailed, being beaten up, being pepper sprayed, all the rest of it, because of serious demands. And those demands are uncompromisingly demanding that families are reunited, not accepting the fact that they're reunited in detention, and uh, as you've already talked Mm -hmm. about, um, abolishing the Immigration immigration Customs Enforcement. But um, the politics of this, it seems pretty clear from the outside, is that you have a lot of... um, uh, Democratic politicians who've jumped on this. Obviously, it's an issue that 
um, in, in anticipation of the midterm elections this fall could, could get the Democrats' support because um, really nobody likes seeing families <laughs> divided. That's sort of a non-ideological mm -hmm. thing. It's just a question of morality more than anything. But um, they want to shortchange the fundamental demands of, of protesters. And I'm certain that those dynamics probably play out every day when you guys are are getting together and, and deciding, um, you know, how you're presenting your, your viewpoints and your politics. So can you talk about that dynamic, the, the sort of, I mean, often in a caricature, it's, it's, it's portrayed as reform versus radicalism, but that's not what it's about. It's about fundamental change for justice versus people who are maybe mm -hmm. using this for electoral purposes while masking that as uh, caring about uh, fundamental change. So can, could you speak to that, uh, that dynamic that plays out in U.S. politics right now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been really interesting to see uh, my partisan friends um, and acquaintances go at it over this, because uh, those who are Republican are claiming that this is just an extension of laws that were created and existed under um, Democratic politicians, and that this is because of that, that's a non-issue. Why are you raising a, a ruckus now when you weren't under them? And Democrats are, are of course, claiming that this is completely different um, and that those laws were never intended to be enforced in this way. Um, but I think it really goes to show that it's being used as a partisan wedge to try and gain votes. And, and we saw this under Obama, that as soon as he was elected, a lot of radicalism like was deflated uh, out of uh, white liberal allies in, in the immigration movement. And that while Obama may have not been separating families. Um, he he's currently the sitting president. Well, he's not the sitting president. He's he's the president who has deported the largest number of people in U.S. history. I, I read an interesting piece about how Trump would have had to spend the majority of his first term building up the organizational capacity of ICE to be able to to do what he's doing now if Obama hadn't already done that for him. Um, so I, I think it just goes to show that, um, you know, people aren't, a lot of people aren't aware, aren't willing to dive into the systemic issues behind it, which is the prison industrial complex, which is funding both political parties. Uh, and it's funding, it's, it's a symptom of, of the capitalist system we live under of the demand for cheap labor and goods. Um, at the expense of human rights. Cam, uh, one evolution in this occupation is that people have engaged in a hunger strike, such as yourself. So what's this hunger strike about? Yeah, so after being arrested, um, I sort of took some time to reflect and think about, you know, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And how can I affect change? And we were hoping that after the the first wave of arrested, that there would be more, that people would continue to try and keep the facility shut down. It's um, it opened yes um, on Tuesday for full operations, um, and in the interim, no one has stepped up. So, not wanting to get arrested again while the legal situation is still pending, um, I. I heard from other people that there might be interest in a hunger strike, so I decided to put that together. And specifically, the demands for the hunger strike are to shut down that particular facility at 4310 Southwest McAdam Avenue in Portland. Um, 
what the two tactics we're going after is the conditional use permit granted by city council in 2011 and the, the lease um, held by uh, Linquist Development uh, Company Incorporated. Um, and we're hoping to rally people behind those with a sense of urgency with the hunger strike. If we can get either of those two um, canceled, that we can have a real, very real chance of shutting down this facility and gaining a, a major uh, milestone in the effort to abolish ICE. Cam, uh, a participant in hunger striker at Occupy ICE PDX, which is Occupy Immigration Customs Enforcement in Portland, Oregon. Thank you for speaking with us on No One is a Legal Radio. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. Thank you for having me.